Yeah, I was watching an interesting thing on um, the CBC uh, this morning. They were talking to a scientist who does research on touch uh -huh. and uh, how we're all very touch starved right now uh, yeah. and how that uh, has very consequential effects. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was even wondering about my daughter. So like, she goes to school and she wears a mask and she's with all these kids and and uh, but but everybody has to sort of keep a distance from each other all the yeah. time. And and she, it seems very tight in her body. And it's like I can feel that 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 in in, in the general atmosphere. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is which is quite sad. Yeah, it's, it's having a like we're primates, so we need a lot of touch yeah. um, constantly and it affects the brain very profoundly. That's why we use touch as our primary metaphor for reality. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So this combined with other aspects of COVID, I think is putting a terrific strain on people's mental health and their spiritual well-being. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah. 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 So what's new with you, uh, Chris? Anything? Not so much. No, I've been, I've been hibernating a little bit in the early part of 2021. I've been, uh, Hibernating. Yeah, I've I've been yeah I've been kind of abstaining from from a lot of discussions. I I've, I find my toler my tolerance. I mean things like this. Yeah, I mean, this notwithstanding, this is a pleasure. But I mean, uh, I find that I'm I'm becoming increasingly resistant to looking at things in this unidimensional way through mm. a screen. I know it's the only recourse we have right now, but I find myself my tolerance my tolerance for it is eroding a little bit. So I've been. Uh, yeah, I've been abstaining a little bit from it, to be honest. Yeah. So we have to find ways to to connect to the real, you know, to the yep. as much as possible to the re really the real. And it's, you know, we um, have to I've been thinking about this. We have to exact the touch machinery so it can now interact in a more virtual fashion, maybe more virtuous fashion as well, but at least a more virtual fashion uh, and thereby satisfy uh, some of uh, the needs of physical touch and um, um, we know that spiritual traditions have had some success with getting people to exact uh, their need for physical contact into other kinds of contact. Um, and I think that's where things like via logos, as opposed to just the exchange of propositions, but the attempt to mutually come into conformity with something um, can be very, very ameliorating for the distress that people are experiencing right now. Yeah. Yeah, there's maybe a hunger for this in a sense. Yeah, yeah. And maybe this is related to our, you know, a good segue for our topic today. Um, because we touch and yeah. we're talking about, you know, we talked about philia. That was our first kind of reinventio yeah. discussion. And I, I was thinking that philia is a kind of ground in a yeah. sense that we need this sort of sympathetic, good faith friendship between people. And then Eros uh, comes a little later when, when we can. When, when there's a, a kind of dynamism going on, I don't know if this is if if you if you would I, this is just me making up stuff, right? Uh, um, not, not actual uh, um, philosophy. It's playful though, and it's good to play. And I thought about that, and then I thought that then then that would afford uh, you know this this agape that we're talking about. On the other hand, that's kind of too hierarchical. That they're all happening at the same time. Um, well, does that make any I, sense? Or yeah, it does. But can I make a proposal? I mean, I, I gave a, a talk on this a long time ago in the before times. Um, and um, I, I have a proposal because I was really trying to understand um, a line that Suzuki talked about. And he makes a connection that DT Suzuki mm -hmm. uh, considered sort of the figurehead for the Kyoto school. And he makes a comparison between his thought and Eckhart's. 
And he talks about this task of transforming Eros into agape. And I thought a lot about it. Um, and then I tried to transpose it and hopefully explicate it and perhaps even explain it a bit onto the, some of the conceptual machinery that Chris and I have worked out. So if I could take a, a couple minutes, maybe I could Please, lay that out great, and that yeah. would give us. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm going to just start with something that we've argued for at length, but I'm just going to just use it as, uh, I'm just going to presuppose it, which is this idea of the agent arena relationship and they're co-determining, co-creating, co-identifying. And that that's happening within that process of relevance realization. Again, I'm not going to take the time to defend that because that's, I've done that extensively. And then here's the idea, and, I, and your metaphor helps because you were right about how Eros is often typified through the metaphor of hunger. Um, and so I think of Eros within the agent arena relationship is how things are important to us, how we want to take them in, import. Eros is like hunger, it's, it's, and it seeks for consummation. And it's no coincidence that we use the word consummation for the, right, the completion of Eros. Eros is that how things become one with me because of how I take them into myself, how we unify in some fashion. And so this maps onto something really important. And Chris and I are gonna be talking with Greg Enriquez uh, when we do uh, the elusive eye, the nature and function of the self. So what's been happening is a lot of research showing that self-relevance, how things are relevant to you is really fundamental glue for cognition. Um, so I think of Eros as the affective motivational state whereby we try to enact the necessary self-relevance for our cognitive and biological existence. Mm -hmm. And then I think of philia as, right? I'm sorry, I always say philia instead of philia. My apologies. Uh, that. Maybe that's right. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I, I claim no authority on the pronunciation. Uh, no. We need an ancient Greek scholar here, uh, whichever right. it is, right? Yeah. And, but I think of it uh, as what it clearly is, for example, for Aristotle and Plato, it's, it's a reciprocity. And that's where I think out, I think that's where we act out um, transjectivity, where we act out the fact that we are in reciprocal relationship. And this is also constitutive of our biological and uh, cognitive agency in the world. And so what I think that does is that, I think philia, and this is what it seems is going on uh, for, um, in the Suzuki Eckhart thing, philia is, is Jaina space. It looks both ways. Mm -hmm. It looks both ways. And, it, mm -hmm. and philia starts to expose us to things we've talked about here. It, yeah. start, it starts to expose us to things that transpose us from an egocentric to an ontocentric reality. It exposes us to beauty. It exposes us to the care of the other. To horror too, I, right? Both, both, we talked about that already, like those two sides. Yes, like said, yes It exposes much. us to the, the duality, the, the tension, the, the pain even, and also the beauty. Of Yes, and so they, those both have the capacity to unself us. Um, and then I think of agape as the reverse. Um, so eros is this way, philia is like this, and then agape is this way. And that seems to be more of our, come from our cultural being. Um, so when you take a look at meaning in life, <clears throat> one of the things, the, the factor that is most significant for people experiencing meaning in life is what's called mattering. They need to feel that they are making a difference to something that has an existence that's larger than them, that it, that's independent of the egocentric concern, of course. And, and the metaphor that is often used for agape, of course, is not hunger. It's not reciprocity. It's the parent-child relation because the parent has to matter to the child because the parent is responsible for creating, 
not consuming or coordinating, but creating a person from a, you know, a, from what Greg Gunrichus calls, you know, a primate, turning a primate into a person. And so I, I think I think of them. It's almost as, the opposite of my formula. Like that's almost the base, right? The parenting. And then, and then well, later I, we move into the. Well, no, no. What I'm doing is I'm trying to pick up on your point about giving a non-hierarchical. Yeah, that's why I'm doing this horizontal thing, right? right? They're they're all components of this, and they all meet different needs. There's the need for self-relevance. There's the need for like cooperation, the deep need because we hunter-gatherers, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's the need, right, to matter, to and and I think that exacts from our relationship of, you know, parental concern, and so we exact that in the agape, we exact mm -hmm. uh, self-relevance in eros, and we exact cooperation in philea and when they're and i think um and i think we just because it's valentine's day and so yeah. um i think we have misidentified um <clears throat> well, i don't even like the word but it's the word we now use romantic love with just eros um and i think and the research i think would, would it like will bear me out on this a really good romantic relationship should have all three it should have all three because all three of those needs need to be met i think when you are in a romantic relationship, mm -hmm. obviously there should be the satisfaction, and we can talk about what that means of eros. There should be deep philea, deep friendship. Many people point to that as something that points to a long-standing relationship. Mm -hmm. And there should also be agape. There are times when we have to forgive other people and right and give and you know sacrifice. I don't want to be too sacrificial, but mm -hmm. we have to sacrifice so that they can be afforded the conditions they need for the cultivation of their personhood. And I think a romantic relationship should have all three. Um, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in this. Uh, and I don't know if anybody is. Nobody but, is. Uh, <laughs> right, but, but, but I do think, because I think, I think the proportions of those shift around according to development and context. But I do want to critique the, the romantic idea that romantic love is, is equivalent to erotic love. Because if that, if that, if that system, I, just argued for makes sense. You need all three because all three of those needs are actually essential to our existence as cognitive agents, especially cultural cognitive agents. Mm -hmm. So there, that I'm just laying that out to give us something we can use as hopefully a foil uh, for for discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Chris? What What do you have to say about romantic love? <laughs> If you don't um, mind me asking if that's not I don't yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what I have to say about romantic love. Maybe we'll come back to it. But um one of the things I'm interested in maybe talking more about, and this fits into the self-relevance dimension of what you were just talking about, John, insofar as the mechanics are concerned. Mm -hmm. Um is the is the phenomenology of the way that Eros actually presents itself. And and in particular the kind of hiddenness. The, the darkness, if you will, in the way that Eros presents itself, because I think that the way we experience, right, I mean, going back to the Socratic Eros as the revelation of insufficiency, the re revelation yeah, yeah, of ignorance yeah. is characteristic yeah. of the experience of Eros. And so I think it is experienced in the form of suffering. And that's, that's not to, um, that's not mm -hmm. to, that's not to make it into something it's just something sinister or morbid, of course, but there's a, there's a, there's a kind of, um, that, if I could, that kind of gives me an insight into why mystical poetry is often very erotic, right? Because it's, it's about this loss of something and then filling it in with the divine or, you know, whatever they, you know, they would say. 
That's right. I, I've been reading. It's interesting you say that, Andrew. I've been reading John of the Cross recently and uh, the Dark Knight of the Soul, and and he describes he describes this purgative process that the soul goes through as it purifies itself, as it were, and dispels itself and dissociates itself from those appetitive those appetitive features of its environment, which are um, which are not sufficiently satiating for the soul and there's like he describes it as a kind of aridity like a drying out mm -hmm. of the soul and the drying out of the soul has something to do with its erotic orientation right so we think of eros we think of eros as very wet for, yes i was gonna say <laughs> forgive the metaphor but yes we think of it as being something very wet but in fact there's a dryness to eros because um its very nature, its very nature implicates it in insufficiency and in lack. And and I'm I'm interested in also maybe this idea. I think that the, the Neoplatonists talk about in particular that that the self division of the soul um, is is a kind of um, that eros is the feeling of the self division of the soul. And it's thirst or it's hunger, I guess we can mm. choose either metaphor, mm. for the reunification with itself. That, that there's somehow a negative unity or a negative yeah. non-logical identity. There's, there's being ripped apart. Of the apart, self right? to itself, yes. And then there's, yes, and then there's also right. this coming together and being ripped apart simultaneously. That's yeah. right. And so the negative, the, the negative unity, it's, uh, if we were talking about it with respect to God, we might call it apophatic, yeah, right? Apophatic. The negative unity of the self to itself is marked by the experience of eros. And, um, and of course, the, in the Neo, if I understand it right, the Neoplatonists, of course, they, they understand that dynamic not only to be characteristic of the soul but of course of of the other hypostases as well right so the the divine d divides itself such that it can long for itself that it that there is a self there is a, a self division that and and the the erotic pains of the self division is the longing for the becoming of oneself, whether we're talking about oneself yeah. as a particular soul or whether we're talking about oneself as the capital O one's self. Yeah. Um, and so you, you certainly know much more about that than I do, John. So, but I'd be interested in thinking about it in those terms as well. Like there's a, there's an, there's an what ontology the, to this yeah. that's not just confined to the individual and our experience of Eros, but that Eros is a kind of cosmic, and at least in the Neoplatonic sense, is a kind of cosmic binding, a yeah. kind of agreement of the oneself with itself that is characterized by the suffering of lack and longing, and on a human level, ignorance and hiddenness of self. Mm. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah. So let's pick up on this. There, there, and and um, so the Neoplatonic, uh, you know, you have basically the procession and the return. And I've tried to map that onto um, emergence and agape. Uh, sorry, emergence and emanation. I don't know why I said agape. Well, I do know why I said it, but I, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. So, but let's so let let's try that just a little bit. Let's think about the human being. Let's let's bring in the Socratic. Because eros isn't right. Eros is, isn't just the hunger, right? Um, and as more and other people have made, the Socratic self is also deeply aspirational. I, I'm going somewhere with this, right? I think, right? There's a sense in which, and, and picking up an Agnes Callard, the present self, right, right, is causally efficacious for the aspired self, 
right? And, 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 and that comes out of a sense of lack, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but but the, the, the aspired self, right? The aspired self is normatively regulative of, of my behavior. And one of the ways I think about this is there's erotic emergence and then there's agopic emanation. Right, because mm-hmm. agape emanates. Agape emanates, and it makes possible where eros emerges. It bubbles forth. It erupts. We have all the. We also have all the eruption language. I'm trying not to get graphic here. Right, <laughs> right. I'm uh, very graphic uh, in my imagery behind me because I I, 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 I was thinking about that in our in terms of our conversation. We have the dry over here. You know, uh, yep. the dryness that he's talking about is emptying out, and then we have this dynamic sort of. Exp- but but. but uh, every emergence is an emptying out because every emergence is a leaving behind, right? <laughs> right? And so what I'm what I'm saying, Chris, is I think if, I think what you can do is I think all three of those dimensions are the way the self relates it to itself, right? The self is right. It's erotically seeking wholeness. It's seeking right, but but that means it needs to internalize something that is given to it agopically from the from the future self, the aspired self, the more real self. Right. And then, of course, you have Plato's idea that there has to be philia within the components of the self, because we're not that it's not the case that we would that we proceed and return in a monolithic fashion. We do it to, to varying degrees for different motives at different scope. You know, Plato's notion of the, you know, the monster, the lion and the man. And so you have to have philia. Right. And then there's eros and then there's agape. And mm-hmm. uh, and again, that's mm-hmm. why that I, I think. Um, it's so central to any um, any spiritual tradition, like Andrew was saying, that, right, again, so just like I said, we shouldn't be reducing romantic love to erotic love. We shouldn't be reducing spiritual love to just agopic love. Yeah. There is all three in both. And you just, but that doesn't make them identical, but you have to see all three dimensions in both. And so I see the Socratics, I see, I see in Socrates, someone who has the eros, Right, he senses what he does not know, right, in a profound way. But he also he knows the right. The unexamined life is not worth living. There's that which is given to him. He has his daemon that speaks to him agopically, right. And then, of course, there's the philia. He says, "I I know that when I go home at night, there's a man I have to face and talk to, which is himself, right." And, And so I'm thinking, like we we could say that, and then maybe that brings up an interesting question: if if these and they're often confused for each other too, right? Spiritual love and romantic love. And romanticism mm-hmm. did a really nutty job on that. But um, like if both of these have those movements in them, all three, the procession, the return, and the, and the remaining, right? Because there's all there's the three. Um, so, the procession, the return, the remaining. Can you, can you elaborate yeah, on yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. So the procession is, uh-huh. um, the idea is neoplatonic metaphysics is symmetrical and opposite to ours. Right, so you start with unity, and then unity proceeds into differentiation. But there's also a, a, a counter movement that all the differentiated things self-organize back towards unity. So they proceed, and and then they return. But the idea is that, but when, but it's not like two things. It's not like see what my hands are doing. It's misleading. It proceeds and then it returns. But the idea is, the effect. The, right when it proceeds, it still always remains within its cause. So that's the that's the um, Godhead that that leads yeah. and, and yeah, never. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. What what is exactly. the phrase again of of Meister Eckhart? Um, uh, 
which about one? The, the Godhead, which 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 leaves and, and never leaves at the same time. I, I can't remember the. It, there's lots of where uh -huh. he says that, uh -huh. where he, he's trying to indicate, and it's all through Plotinus and and also Proclus and uh -huh. Damasius. This idea that we have to talk about this with metaphors of movement, but we have to remain. We have to remember that the metaphors ultimately are misleading in an important way. Mm -hmm. um, Anyways, that's what I wanted to say, Chris. I think that there's like, there's, there's this, I think when we're talking about the spiritual life, right, the, I think there is, there's something like simultaneously the hunger from Eros and the nourishment from Agape uh, and some kind of philiac relationship between them when people, uh, I think, are, consider themselves spiritually, I don't want to say fulfilled, but enriched. That's perhaps. What do you think about that as a possible way of thinking about it? Mm. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm familiar with that argument of yours. I've always really liked it. I know it's been developing, um, but I've always really liked that argument. And, and I think in part because it, it puts, it binds Eros into a conditional relationship with Agape, right? Eros yeah, becomes yeah. a condition, an enabling constraint, I yeah, suppose, yeah. Yeah. for agape and becomes part of the agapic process like i think of i think of the way in which for instance the, the eros of socrates like i i often think of the socrates alcibiades relationship as being indicative of this because oh. so, so so socrates has a countenance as eros toward alcibiades and in so doing he attracts alcibiades eros in yep. his direction yep. but then he abdicates the eros right he steps back he retreats away and so alcibiades all of a sudden um, has this objectless eros that can't be fulfilled. And so then it becomes internalized and directed unto himself. And I think that's part of the, so, right? So, so I think it's in, in, in some sense, the purposing of eros in the pursuit of oneself that allows for the agapic project to be realized because it's this yeah. desire to be known. He wants to be known by Socrates and yes. Socrates yes. It is unwilling to sufficiently know him. And, and it's, um, I mean, we were talking at the beginning about how the, the yen for touch is so fundamental yeah. and is so disrupted right now. And part of the yen for touch is the yen to be known because yeah. the more known we can be in the eyes of thou, the more known we become to ourselves and then the more we can model ourselves, right? And model ourselves with the world, but it has to happen the, 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 because because Eros, the revelation of Eros is the revelation that we are other to ourselves. It requires the symbolic, I think the symbolic intervention of the other in order to be known to ourselves in order to, for the agapic yep. process to be possible. I was thinking of the movie, The Matrix, when you were talking um, and how, you know, how Neo, he's this kind of guy and he's in his, and he, the only reason he'll get out of bed in the morning really is to meet Trinity, right, or or and Trinity yeah. will lead him to to Morpheus, or so. There's this sort of um, it's it's the erotic pull that gets him out of um, you know his his uh, cocoon, or or his negativity, or or just just you know, dying in utero in, in some sense. Um, well, but what I'm proposing, though, what I think falls yeah. on this is I'm proposing that there is a way in which the hunger, the space, right. It, it's not just that we're pulled, right? I, I think eros can be properly tutored, and you see this in uh, Dionysus, you, and it's also I think in in Socrates, right? Right, because that can be that can be transmuted into a receptivity, 
and, and the, the core the core trait you're trying to cultivate in Neoplata Neoplatonism is a receptivity uh, to right to how God how the One uh, is is emanating the right and giving to you the conditions like a parent giving to you the conditions and the possibilities of personhood and self transcendence right but if you don't have the, if you haven't tutored your eros, because this is, I mean, this is metaphoric for, for the Neoplatonists. It's the direction of your eros. If your eros is directed down, eros can be the thing that binds you mm -hmm. so that you cannot, right? So you lose your capacity for self-transcendence, but eros can become the thing that shapes that hunger into like a profound receptivity that allow, and, and, and the point that Neoplatonists make is, the ultimately the only way, I'll speak sort of semi-religiously here, the only way to relate to God, it, you can only receive God, right? If you try to have any other relationship to God, you are giving up God for an idol, right? And so the eros has to be, like I say, it has to be transmuted into receptivity. And in fact, that was an insight I had when I was reading Dionysus, because I, I kept trying to understand what does he mean when he says we love God? And he says, look, it's, he says like there's he says there's like a, a seal and it's going to roll on some clay. The clay has to have the right receptivity. If it's too tough, there's no impression. That's right. That's the emanation, right, of the form, right. It, but if it's too if it's too watery, it, it 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 doesn't take it doesn't take the impression. You have to get it right, and 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 that's what it is to love God. To love God is to change the hunger for the other, by which we can self transcend. Into a into a receptivity, so kind of into a substance of some kind, which which is 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 semi permeable and and dynamic and, and alive, rather than something cold and and and, and distant, well, or or else something that's that's uh, you know just drowning in itself. There's sort of a there's sort of a a middle way there. Or well, I'm trying to suggest that the hunger can can shift from being sort of a raw consumptive desire for unity into mm -hmm. a receptivity so that there I can thereby internalize something that I cannot make within myself. Mm. That's what I'm suggesting. And that's also part of growth, isn't it? I mean, in a life, uh, in a sense, because in your 20s, I, I, that's what you go through, right? You go, you, you hit this narcissistic wall, right? You have all this desire and then, and then you realize, and then you, and then you get kind of destroyed by it in a sense, you have to rebuild yourself up to understand that 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 purpose of that is not you it's 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 giving it's it's um am i making sense i i think so i think chris spoke of it elo eloquently i think the pain of eros if properly responded to if, if we if we are responsible to the pain of eros it can be transmuted mm. into a sensitivity sensitivity for things we could not previously touch it's like the people coming out of plato's caves being blinded by the light but i want to caution because uh, the Neoplatonists are also like, if you, if, one of the things you can do in the presence of such pain, and I've been sort of re wrestling with my, this myself over the last eight weeks or so, so you can harden, harden the heart, right? You can harden the heart. Yeah. And then I think a, a hard heart with erotic desire becomes purely consumptive, yeah. um, purely consumptive. I know the French word endure means make hard. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. Which is interesting. So then the entire basis of the, the Socratic pedia, like the training of the Socratic eros, which becomes the anagogic eros, is precisely to tutor the sensitivity that you're describing. 
yeah. to trend to transmute the appetitive forms of eros into that ontological sensitivity yes. such that emanation can be duly received and be made known by the very longing for it yeah so that we know as we are known as saint paul says yeah. that's right. right so we get to that yeah, place. Right. it's very beautiful how do we do that without without being damaged and how, like how do we go through that process it's it's like uh it's such a difficult process it seems to me um <laughs> yeah <laughs> god it's like fuck <laughs> excuse my language but um i mean you, you, as you I say mean, the I... beauty and the horror you know the the uh the total negation and then also then then finding incarnation in that and 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 then um you know there's just and, and also the more you get into it the more subtle it becomes and the more traps there are for your for your soul in a sense and and there's more opportunities to be more heard opportunities too yes right because um chris is right we want to we want to know and we want to be known and that's the that's the basis of dialogos yeah chris and i have argued that right and he's put it into eloquent terms but the what you mean is you allow another individual to touch you in the places that have the potential where you're most vulnerable and that means they and i'm gonna i'm gonna deliberately play on uh, they know how to hurt you and eros leads you to vulnerability that's that's clear right it, um, it can it can i mean like I or said, it can lead you to this other thing you're talking hardening about. hardening, hardening where you just you, really you consume and you never recognize that the hunger is a potential to see have to see as you have not seen and be as you have not been right that that, 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 that there's that but i do think I, I do think it's inevitable that we're going to get hurt um and, and that sounds like such a trite thing to say but um i i i think it's really important to say that and, and the the thing that comes to my mind as an analogy is learning a martial art really learning and letting your body be changed it hurts mm -hmm. it hurts to do that it really hurts but if you don't go through that hurt you don't gain the new movement you don't gain the new sensitivity you don't gain new ways in which the world can impress itself and leave an impression upon you um yeah and so that's um, why i don't want this training that you're talking about i mean i think that's the answer in a sense is the right kind of training that is that affords um that kind of vulnerability, but also strength at the same time. So it's not. But we, we not have a shitty, a, shitty history about that. Yeah. Right? We do, Christianity yeah. has a bizarre, tortured relationship with erotic love. And our current culture, with its myopic, decadent romanticism, is giving us no good guidance. I mean, yeah. there's some good literature here and there, but generally we're impoverished in terms of where we can turn to get that training. Well, we have this choice between kind of porn and, and, uh, um, on one hand, and then the moralism, moralism on the other, uh, for, you know. Well, no, there's the, I said there's three. There's there's moralism, yeah. right? There's porn, and there's rom-coms, right? Romantic comedies, yeah. Uh, which are, which are, like none of those are good places to turn to, to find the the tutelage of eros. Yeah, they're not good. And, and you know, and and think about it, Chris. Think about these very profound thinkers like St. John, right? But if you wanted to go to them like, well, how do I tutor Eros? There's not much there. And when I was reading mm. Suzuki, he says, you know, the primary project is to transform Eros into a cafe. 
And I'm thinking, yeah, that's great. Where do I find, I practice a lot of Buddhist practice for, for decades. Where do I find that, right? Where do I find that training? Not in the Sutriana, but in the Vajrayana. Not in this, but in this. Well, yeah. And <laughs> but, 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 but I mean, but that's a mature thing, like, and, and it's a rare thing. And it's kind of happens after a lot of training and, 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 and a lot of right. unraveling and a lot of, I think, anyway, um, I mean, well, here, it's, more just, than I. it's just a metaphor here, right? It's just uh it's 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 just an image and it's just an icon and it's a longing right um but uh but i again i wonder why like again that that's sort of shut down in the in the in the as a sacred thing right how, how do how this is a sacred image to me right this image yeah. that I, i'm showing you which i i'm sharing which i wouldn't probably put on the wall in, in a normal conversation but but it's it's not uh um it's it. I don't know. This sort of image is is taboo in in the culture. It's like we're, we're supposed to reject that, or else it's 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 always hid, hidden. Maybe the word hidden and the darkness and that sort of thing that Chris was talking about. I think behind that is this. Well, this, I, I mean, <laughs> but, we are at our most vulnerable. I mean, this was the great yeah. insight of Orwell in in 1984. People are at their most vulnerable in their sexual relationships, right? Because. They are, they are potentially going through the erotic exposure. They're definitely physically exposed, right? And so, and, and though that physical and psychological um, exposure and, and vulnerability um, means people generally want some protective pr privacy around, at least in our culture. I mean, yeah. we've been gifted by, the chimney changed things before there, there was, when there was a hearth, people slept in one big room and sexuality was a little bit more uh, prevalent. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, since the invention of the chimney, uh, and I don't think this has been a bad thing. We've thought that there should be some privacy attached to sexuality. And I, this can become prudish and pernicious, mm -hmm. but because people are at their most vulnerable in the, those circumstances. And that's why- Well, what I was saying, kind of thinking is that we don't, we don't make the difference between this and porn, right? We don't consider this to be divine or, or, or see the divinity in this. We see it as, we see it as porn in a sense, like, but because, but again, uh, uh, we don't have modeling of the the sacred aspects of these things. Yeah. Right. So, and I mean, Han, not, yeah, it's the Agony Veros. Yeah, Han. Yeah, the Agony right? Veros. Yeah. He's excellent at the critique of pornography. That's a great title too, the Agony right. Veros. Well, yeah, the Agony of Veros. Here, said, yeah. The Agony, right? And he mm -hmm. he points to the the spiritual potential of Eros and the why why pornography is immoral and pernicious. And I'm not trying to be prudish here, yeah. right? Let, let's 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 be more careful. The potential for it being vicious, conducive to vice, is precisely because it removes that dimension, right? Mm -hmm. I, what I do is I completely give in to consuming, and there's no mystery or hiddenness to the object of my erotic impulse, so it becomes completely consumptive, and there's no way in which it challenges me. And that's there's no art that's and why... virtuosity to use Chris's yep. terminology. It, too. It, it's, mm. it's removed, and we replace trans we replace transformation with technique. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm. it's like, oh, I don't have to undergo any significant transformation in order for this to be uh, a, a good erotic encounter. What I have to do is use the right techniques that will allow me to consume as much as I can from this situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you take the techniques from the tradition, but you don't you don't take the whole list, the whole um, gestalt of the tradition or the whole, you know, all the stages and. <laughs> 
Our culture is given to pornography in many forms. I mean, we have confirmation porn, as Leo puts it, where yeah. Leo Ferraro, where we, we're constantly seeking confirmation or we're just consuming. We're just consuming evidence in a, with a hard heart, right? So that we confirm and maintain our beliefs, We right? But we also have intuition porn in which we're just constantly wanting our intuitions, right? Uh, to be given, uh, you know, uh, satisfaction. And, and like our culture, and I think that was Han's point, right? right is we have... We have just we have given we have given into a pervasive transformation of most of our impulses into uh, pornographic versions. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah so we don't want to just talk about sexuality when it comes to porn. It, no, it's, it's actually just desacralization of of all things. Watch Margaret Stewart. They coined a phrase for her: domestic porn. Because mm -hmm. she was doing all this stuff about, you know, your house. Here's the what the perfect house looks like. It here's the perfect meal, and it's right. But the point is, like, it, it is. It serves the people who want to manipulate us to get us as much. This is from to get us mm -hmm. as much as possible into a consumptive mode. They, they don't want yeah. us to transform, and they want because if we transform, we might change and not want their crap anymore. Mm -hmm. And they want us to consume as much as possible because that way we empower them and give them wealth. I'm not trying to make a Marxist critique here. I'm just saying that it's no coincidence that we have, we're coming to think of ourselves not as citizens. As commodities, or, you know. Well, and to be Marxist, I mean, Marx had a few things, right? I mean, didn't he? I mean, the commodification of- Of, of everything. Yeah. Like fast food is basically the pornography of food, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I think I think the where question do we go from here, where do we go from here, Chris, where, where do we go? From yeah, here? yeah, yeah, just, Please, Chris. I'm just been complaining that. about the por the pornography, porn pornographication of the world. If that's a word. Good, good verb. I like it. Pornification <laughs> of the world. <laughs> but I was thinking as you're talking, I was thinking of, a, of, of, of perhaps an obverse case study or an obverse example to the so let's talk about porn just in the sexual context for a moment, right? It's it's the thingness of sexuality that desymbolizes it in the pornographic experience. In the pornographic encounter, you encounter sexuality without the symbolic, um, without without the symbolic implicature of the erotic spirit, and that's part of what empties it of its pregnancy and empties it of the beyondward gesture that it typically otherwise has. Its transparency is removed, right? It becomes completely opaque in the pornographic encounter. There's an interesting thing that happened um, in, in Victorian sexuality, which was its combination, its accidental, I think, and quite involuntary conflation with spiritualism. Mm. Right. So because so the, so the Victorians, obviously, they, they had that that was really the birth of the seance and the seance culture. Right. was was in right. Victorian context. And they used to have these seances where they would gather around a table. There would be a channeler or a medium or whatnot. And they would um, they had a, a symbolic order for ritualizing the seance such that the spirit would descend upon the table and flip between the people and, and activate and animate their own spiritual connection with themselves and, and between themselves. And, um, and of course we know that, that, that um, the Victorians were, 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 you know, famously or infamously um, um, 
host to a very sexually repressive culture and a very sexually repressive way of, of interacting. And there have been some interesting, I think Roger Clark did one of them, I'm sure there are others, sort of natural history of spiritualism that mm. that have have examined how the the largely repressed sexual experience was enfolded into the ritual of the séance such that it manifested a kind of a kind of spiritual or spiritualistic interest in this self-transcendence that perhaps otherwise wouldn't have been as powered or wouldn't have had the same kind of thrust or force to it. Excuse the choice of, excuse the diction. Um, <laughs> We're going to so, keep falling so, into that. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. So, so now, you know, I, for some, was it completely unconscious? I imagine it was. For some, was it partly conscious? Perhaps. But, but as a culture, or broadly speaking, I think this was a largely unconscious conflation. And I think that's also, one there's of something the real that, about that, too, isn't there? There's something. Yeah, kind of, yeah. That, that's the way religion should operate in a sense, often, is that you, is it, is it, you have these these carnivals where where all the taboos are broken so that you go back to your ordinary life and. That's right. That's right. And in, I think in the example I've just given, it was perhaps unintentional or an accidental yeah. admixture. It was an accidental synthesis of sexuality with spirituality. But, but I think that um, the what, what am I trying to say? The um, the 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 kind of the the alchemical transmutation of one in virtue of another is one thing I think that we we just don't have a handle on anymore. Yes, yes. we don't have a handle on how to purpose and 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 um, and leverage the the vitality and life force of the sexual impulse in service of something more broadly erotic uh, that is manifest in a kind of spiritual exercise. It doesn't have to be Victorian spiritualism, but uh, any kind of spiritual but exercise. But it could be gay clubs in New York. Or it could be gay clubs in New York or, or something like that. Or like, wait, you know, wait. Uh, there, there I was, think there's something important about the seance. Yeah, I think there's something important about the sale because it's a conjuration. It's a conjuration too. It's an it's a it's a it trains. Sorry, John. I just just anticipating what you might be about to say. It the the conjuration of the the conjuration of the seance is a in its own context is a kind of training and receptivity analogous to if not identical to the kind that we were talking about from the Neoplatonic. And it has features of dialogos all in it, all around. Totally. But what's what else is there? Spirituality, sexuality, the seance, mortality is there, yeah. right? The death. And, you know, when Plato talks about the deep connection between eros and, 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 and the confrontation with our mortality, right? And, and there's something there also, because our mortality, if you'll allow me to expand this term, is kind of our central hunger, right? Because yeah. mortality is to be in a state of continual lack. We lack, we lack the permanency, if that's the right word, of the eternal of the eternal entities, right? And so we are always, we are always in that sense, erotically charged towards seeking a contact because of our mortality with something beyond. I remember, you know, in, when in the symposium, uh, you know, uh, where, where the argument is made, you know, we when we are giving birth through sex to our children that's we we that is our one of our best participatory symbols of what it is to be an eternal being 
right? And, and so I think the seances, I think like you do this, like you, I think it, there was, there was all, it was, sorry, I was going to say it's pregnant with, with, a, with a lot more that, right? There, obviously there's the invocation uh, of the Dialogos machinery, but there's also, right? There's those also, three things that are actually bound together, mortality, spirituality, and sexuality. Yeah, I also right. got the feeling there was something a little bit off in my conversation with John and that we were being too moralistic about the world and, and, and not respecting like the entire fabric of things like which which sexuality is a part of. Yes. Even porn is a part of and we have to, we can't just like sit, complain about it. There, there's something going on there and there's an energy and we need to figure it out. We, we, we don't just need to say, oh, this is good or bad. Um, right. And I think part of um, part of the way of connecting that is to see um, that Eros is more comprehensively discharged onto the world because of the mort our mortality and the way our mortality conforms to and participates in the fatality of all things. All things are impermanent. All things are prey right, to being destroyed by time. Um, and even the things we most love, you know, 3000 years from now, there all the people that, you know, and all the people that knew the people that knew like everything that will all have disappeared and, and gone. And, and, you know, you can wake up at 3am and think about that and you can be confronted. And very often uh, the thing that sort of is the redemptive counter impulse to that is sort of the erotic impulse of, well, then I will make, then I will make, then I will create. Right. Yeah. Something or like give that. Birth and birth and beauty. Give birth. Yeah. yeah. Or I will, tr or, what, what, what I'm also suggesting is I will I will seek out, you know, you can hear stoicism and the way it transmuted the erotic impulse. I will seek out to come, or, and especially no Platonism, I will seek out to come into unity with the eternal, right? So even in stoicism, I stop living horizontally because that, that means inevitable perishing. I can only satisfy this erotic response to mortality by coming into, right, the depths by coming into a relationship with what is eternal, which is not the same thing as the everlasting, right? Right, right. And that my identity has to share in it. Is yes, that I, exactly. I have to. I have to. I have to participate in it. I have to so, be. I have to. Right. It's a. It's a process yeah. of gnosis, right? I have to. I have to. Yeah. Have totally. to come. Totally. I have to. I have to come to share its identity as a consequence of of being a participable. Yeah. I was is thinking maybe that's a problem with Sutriana or with you know, with, with um, more religion that is about um, uh, renunciation. The, the, the renunciation is, is, is a necessary stage, but it's not the whole story because as, as you say, we have to participate. There's a, there's a participation that is, 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 is a living participation. Um, so is, 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 uh, if, if my memory is incorrect here, let me know. But are there not cultures that describe the orgasm as a little death? Um, more in French, yeah. Timor, yeah. 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 Right. So yeah. that's what I'm getting at. There's that, like, the moment when we feel the fullness of Eros is also a moment we where we... we they also like, say in France to ch chanter. <laughs> so so it's to sing. Ah, to sing. So, so it's like a petit mort and it's also a, a song. Yeah. So yeah, you're singing... But the song reveals the silence of your mortality. Mm. Hmm. Fantastic. Like that. So, I like that. I mean, so we, we have to, I mean, we have to, 
Yeah, you're right, Andrew. And I didn't mean to be moralistic. I, I, I did no, say I, I didn't think want I was to... doing. I was getting into that um, yeah. state of mind as well. And and uh, I think it's not quite. It doesn't get you anywhere. It, it's just. No, the, my, my, my critique. My, people will consume pornography, at, and that's the right word, right? To varying degrees. What my critique was of the way, like I said, it, 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 it's indicative of a larger push yeah. to, to harden us. Yeah. And, and that's where I think the moral critique should be directed, not mm -hmm. towards the, the the particular image or the particular act or something like that, because I get like human beings will, will and there's nothing wrong with this, right? They will, they'll have sex just for fun. We, we do lots of things just for fun, but we don't want to be in a culture where it's so hardened that we can't have, we can't recover the spiritual dimensions of sex. That's the critique I want to make. Mm -hmm. and, and I think recovering recovering the spiritual dimensions of sex have something to do with the preservation of hiddenness. Yes, I think, yes. right? That's the preservation, I mean, one of, one, of, one of the reasons why pornography is so de-eroticizing and de-symbolizing is precisely because it's too, re it's too, it's too revealing. Yeah, it's yeah. too revealing. Veils are, are very erotic and-, and uh, That's right. I yeah, actually had totally. someone say, I had someone say to me recently, I thought this was very telling, that, that the, uh, the presence of masks uh, because of COVID, uh, you know, being in public spaces and seeing everyone wearing masks, I, someone said to me recently, it was a very, this very erotic experience, well, or some, be, there's yes. something very erotic yeah. about seeing everyone wearing masks, and that's that to me, that's 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 a very significant observation, um, mm -hmm. because it's it's somehow, um, it's it's somehow that even because even in the intimate relationship. There has to be the preservation of concealment is necessary in order yeah. to attain paradoxically, and I think the paradox oh, yeah. of it is important. Yeah. Preserving hiddenness is necessary for attaining the transparency required for the sensitivity that you were oh, discussing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an amazing point. Right. It's amazing because, uh, yeah, because by, by not seeing, you can see further. It's almost like a, you can have a vision. Um, by not seeing or or, or, or something it's like uh, you can see further by not seeing it's like yeah, the blind exactly. poet Milton that's right oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's if, right if I know that you have reverence and respect for the mystery in me then I am open to being as transparent to you as possible yeah right because you have recognized that no matter how deeply you see into me, and of course, vice versa. You will never, you will never grasp me and encompass me or consume me with your gaze. Pornography is when we completely, we believe mistakenly that we could completely consume the other in our gaze. And we don't believe at the same time. It's like a, yes, we don't. It's a we lie, do. basically. It's a yes, sort of a, yes, sort it's of a form a, of self-deception. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but that reverence, that the hiddenness and the reverence, there's something that you're right, Chris. It's precisely because, pe well, it's the moreness and the suchness. It's precisely because people will always withdraw from our grasp, right? That we will always be erotically charged. Yeah. 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 That's, and, that's and, and the tradition I keep talking about, I'm sorry to bring it up so much. But, oh, but, but, but in the, the Dakini, for example, there's images of the Dakini and, and she's, she's naked and resplendent and on a moon and, you know, the, it's incredible, but she's, she's naked, but she's adorned at the same time. It's very yeah. interesting. So there's, so it's not just that she's naked. She's also adorned, 
you know, she's also uh, wearing symbolic representations of various things and musical right. instruments. This, and the psychological and that's reason really, that too. Yeah. You know, men, I, I, I only know from the, I've only read the, the men's side that women are different and I don't oh, want to- yeah, men too definitely are very adorned and, and uh, you know, wearing tight- No, but what I mean is men yeah. find uh, pictures of women in lingerie, oh. for example, way more erotically charged than oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. fully naked, right? Um, right. Just yeah. even, at, even at just sort of a reactive level um uh, precisely because that uh, because it invites participation right because yes. it invites participation oh. into the process of the unconcealed yes exactly. there's nothing Rather right than... like a fully naked body invites very little participation the only participation it can possibly invite is the part is the participation of a thing the participation unto an object yeah. and 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 a semi-clothed body invites participation into into it's, it, it invites participation into a into a into a poetic process of making the person by the process of revealing the person right again it reminds me of the sort of in the neoplatonic metaphysics that somehow the like the the, the procession the, the 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 procession of the one into becoming the many um, is 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 for the participation of the of the of the of the cosmogenesis, right? It's for yes. the participation. It's so that the many actually symbolically cohere to participate in the creation of the world that proceeds out from the one. If I've understood yeah. that correctly, so um, so it, it 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 I think it does come back in some sense to the it it comes back to the to the to the participation that that ameliorates the erotic encounter from the subject object metaphysics that otherwise that otherwise estranges it, I think. So wouldn't it be the case, I mean, I agree with everything you said, uh, that the naked body, see, if the naked body is still before us or even just being sort of acted upon, but if somebody, if, it, if it's, I wanna say something like when a person is fully embodied, when you, right, when you're with the naked other, right, the body, the body can be, again, an invitation to participation if, What's be if the body becomes instead of as you said an object, if it instead becomes and I mean this in a complimentary way symbolic. If yes, the body totally. Is, yeah, yeah. If the body is a way to be. something too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a transparency of the between the two, or translucency, yeah. or I don't know what, but 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 the, where you lose the the one and you also lose the many, you're kind of yeah, yeah. There's not one, yeah. not two, as they say in Zen or something yeah. like that. Yes, that's exactly. right. You become not that's one, right. not two. You become non-dual. Um, it's like and, the and that expression comes to fruition in a child. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, it's literally the case in the child. The two become one in the child, right? That's right. Um, and again, Plato picks up on That's right. that machinery That's right. is there, and we should celebrate it. And I think a little bit more than Plato does, but we should also realize that it's an it's an exaptive it's an exaptive potential for us uh, to 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 use that machinery to see aspects of reality that are disclosed by it. In a theurgic way, even. yes, mm -hmm. yes, right. Exactly. Like, like, think of the the old expression of the body being a temple, right? People yes. deride that expression yes. all the time because they see it as a as an expression of 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 stringent conservatism or something like right. that. But yeah. it's but it's not, right? Think of all that is implied, yeah, by that analogy, right? Think of like all of the expo yes. all of the spiritual exploration that is implied by that analogy. And the sense of reverence and worship, yeah. In a yeah. Sense, we're, we're back to worship. It's like, yeah, it's a microcosm of worship, you know, of, of greater things. And 
that's that's missing in in, in just the you know one on one kind of um, encounter. Yeah, I, I mean, so I mean, that's I hadn't thought about this before. There's a sense in which, for all of the gifts it gives us, the metaphor of touch can also mislead us because the in physical touch, there's a sense in which it comes to right, it comes to the point uh, where it can go no no further. Uh, um and yeah and so like, that's what, what chris I'm was to... saying the other the first the, in our last conversation about how just sex right it's just like almost nothing right if it's just sex um in a yeah. sense there's there's another dimension that has to be present for it to be something real um yeah yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to i'm uh, this is like happening right now i'm trying to figure it out i'm trying to get the uh, 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 something you said earlier about the virtuosity of touch there's a way of touch because han also complains about the 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 aesthetics of the smooth where we touch right. things and they're smooth and, and and we stay on the surface there's a there's a there's a there's a danger of superficiality in touch and that means it's we have to see something else going on like and i'm asking this question what is el what else is going on so that touch is not superficial right and, and yeah chris go well i i i don't know it just the way i think about it is that is that there's a, it's the difference between touching and touching through just like it's the yes, difference yes, between yes. seeing and seeing through, through right yeah, the yeah. touch the touch if a touch is a symbolic act what you're what you're touching is not simply the body right what you're right, right. what you're what you're touching is the spirit and, and all that it compasses in its in its in its own in its own appetite right in its own um um in, in its own more fundamental orientation, right? So, so the the the, the symbolic touch, the uh, the the symbolic touch is like an enigmatic gesture, whose full compass is not even known by the intent to touch, right? It's it's um, whereas the whereas the, the 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 touch of the sexual object is. I think is basically fits right right into Hans' critique, which is it's 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 a foreclosure, it's a foreclosure. It's a it's it doesn't um, say enigmatic it's gesture is that's a very message. interesting um, to me. when you said enigmatic gesture, for me that kind of encompasses the erotic the erotic act. There's an yes, enigmatic gesture. Hmm. But but I'm trying to get at and I, this is in no way detracting from what you're saying. I'm trying to but I'm trying to get at. Like, and there's something in what you said about sort of there's a kind of uh, opacity to transparency shift. You go from looking at to looking through. And, I, and so what I'm saying is, we, this may go back to something we asked earlier. How do we train? How do we train so our touch isn't superficial pornography, but in-depth, right? In-depth erotica, ta erotica. Like we have to practice opacity to transparency shifting. We have to practice, right? doing that so that when we touch, we don't touch the smooth surface. We're willing to, right, uh, our touch is extended into, it, it, like you said, the enigmatic gesture towards the less smooth, more challenging, but also more mm -hmm. enriching depths. But, but this is, this is, sorry, ahead, sorry, John, keep going. Oh, no, I was no. going to say, that it, it occurs to me that the, that, that this, that the, that the, that the integrated nature of this project was present in the anagogic eros, not to over romanticize it or to, to, to yeah, remove yeah. all of its blemishes, of which we know there were, but yeah. that, that the, the pedutic function of the anagogic eros that was practiced by, by 
Socrates and and yeah yeah the platonic contemporaries in general contain like let's not forget it that it contained the sexual element explicitly right and so that there was a mentorship there was a there was a kind of apprenticeship of erotic training and sensitization that included the sexual and the dialogical components that were both enfolded into the erotic yeah, no, no, pro that's project. And, and, you know, and that's one thing, I mean, I, I don't know how to, this is like a cultural problem. I don't know how to be begin proposing a solution to this, but- Because it was often older men, thing, and young, older, older men and younger men. And, and younger men, right. Piece, and that's really taboo in our culture these days, but-, but Right. But, but, but well, I guess that, that that's there, that should be a fun, that there that a function in our culture as well as other forms of yeah you know, tutelage. I mean, you guys see the, there's women who who teach men how to how to make love. Like there's there's a there's an actual tradition of of wise women who know how to you know who teach. There's there's that that is a tradition. It's not a very well known tradition or popular yeah. tradition, but but maybe the Socratic thing is also similar yeah, to that in, in a sense. Yeah. Um, that's exactly that's diatima. I'm actually I'm, I was thinking yeah. as you were saying that, Andrew. I was thinking, do you know, have you guys seen the film Bill Durham? There's a scene where yeah. uh, there's you know there's a young there's a young buck of a player who's just like horny as all hell, and 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 um, and and there's an older woman who 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 he thinks that he's about to get lucky with, and she chains him. I, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but I think that she's like she ties him to the bed. She sits next to him and she reads him poetry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like again, she yeah, yeah. kind of she traps him, she corners yeah. him, she frustrates his sexual impulse, yeah. and she uses the frustration. I hope I'm not. I'm not. Hope I'm not not altering. I think that's it. This I think by my memory, it. but I think yeah. it's something like that, right? Yeah. That she basically takes a sexual impulse, she restrains it in order to tutor it. Um, yeah. And that's the that kind of. Um, and well, yeah, of course, there are all kinds of reasons why of that it, would be right? taboo. But we don't have that kind of encoded erotic mentorship um, in our certainly in any broad sense in our culture. And and anyway, I I'm not saying that that's the solution, but it it strikes me as something that that perhaps had. Well, then, but that kind of thing happens in porn, right? I mean, th that kind of thing is repressed and, and and finds itself in perverted forms in other places. So yes. so which which makes me think that. It, it should it, there should be um, a ritualized form of that in, in the real culture of some kind you know I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to guess about or, or say what that would be but but um, well and, and and it's dangerous because again mm. that's where people are most vulnerable and putting making that uh, an object towards which corporate and political eyes can turn is something that would be fraught with all kinds of risk yeah. for abuse um, which is exactly why these schools are often very secret and hidden away yeah, and they would, ha I, they would have to be I'm, yeah. at least in our context yeah. they would have to be uh, i can't see how they could ever be in any way um public the because problem the with public them being, in our society will just take whatever and manipulate it and make it a technique and sell it and and uh, and destroy and, and, it in and a sense. It's people at their most vulnerable. It's meaning and, and and destroy people as well. Yeah. So, indeed. But but I'm wondering again if uh, I, I don't want I'm not trying to do sort of Freudian displacement, but I'm wondering about like the the the, the intimacy that is fostered in dialogos, and uh, and how dialogos is the constant tutorage of doing opacity transparency. What constantly happens in Dialogos is you go from looking at to looking through, 
right? And you're doing again and and again and again and again and again and again. Yeah, what and, could be more erotic than that? I I don't know. There is there is a proper and, and you know I hope people are hearing this with a fair and just ear. There is a proper erotic impulse within the logos, for, and it is it is as Chris was suggesting. It is bound up with. It is bound up with, like in the seance, it's bound up with our, our spirituality, it's bound up with our mortality, and it's bound up with this constant practice of doing an opacity to transparency, shifting of attention and awareness in both directions too, by the way, right? You go from looking at yourself to looking through yourself to the ground of yourself, which is not your ego self, right? You, 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 you go in both directions. At least you have the potential to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as there is the emergence of a shared identity that exceeds the identities of the participants involved in both forms of that relationship, then the relationship has actually become symbolic, mm-hmm. right? But there has to, I think there has to be a shared identity that is attained between- It's funny you said symbolic. I would have thought the opposite. It, was, it becomes concrete or it becomes actual. Um, but, but, but I think, but I know what you, I think I know symbolic what you mean. phenomenology involves yeah. very concrete yeah. action. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't well, see sure. them as, as mutu- somehow mutually exclusive, right? Yeah. When I say symbolic, I don't mean completely abstracted or ephemeral. It's, it's, I think it, it, it in fact requires embodiment. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just what do we mean by symbolic? Maybe I, I, I well, just... I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be careful here. And that's yeah. what Chris is pointing to. Yeah. You, you have, the, you have the imaginary symbolic in which there is something and it's just, Right, it's just a, 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 a like I'll be person here. It's just a mental sign for something beyond itself, right? And, right, and we we and it, often when you when you when you, some people say symbolic, they mean it in that sort of cognitive, ornamental sense. But yeah. there's the there's the symbolic as the imaginal, That's right? The, Where you are you are acting out like you're you're doing you're doing serious play. Like when the child, you know, puts on a cape and pretends to be Superman. They are actualizing. They're they're concretely actualizing potential virtues and attitudes and perspectives. In I see. So it becomes right. play, it becomes a a play. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. When, That's very much. Yeah. It. It's, yeah. It's like it's like when you when you mm-hmm. attain to a symbol. When you when you assume a symbol, it's like your being assumes a pattern of being in the world that exceeds its prior comprehension. Exactly. Yeah. Beautifully. And such mm-hmm. such your participation in this new perspective exceeds you or exceeds the boundaries of you as previously conceived, and so you attain the more of yourself in the symbolic process, more, and that's yeah. how it works. Oh, wow. So I'm wondering if the trivialization of play in our culture into pure, into frivolous entertainment is also contributive to the, like, to uh, the diminishment of the spiritual potential of the erotic. I would, what came to mind was Hugh Hefner and the playmate, but, but, but that's not, but that's not, right? That's, that's just what I mean. We've trivialized play and, and, and we've so denuded it of like what we used to mean when we talked about, you know, the serious play of, music and this like there's a serious play within sexuality right that has to be recovered absolutely yeah it has to be recovered yeah what i was thinking of actually about that uh, um this is maybe another point but about the narrative and the post narrative so yes um i was thinking that that, that you, you, when when you said symbol i was thinking narrative so i was thinking okay so Often when, when you meet somebody, there's a narrative leading up to that. And then you enter into a post-narrative state <laughs> with that person in a sense. And there's no words for it or, or there's no, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a hidden language 
but it's it's not verbal it's 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 oh. somatic it's like all kinds of things but it's so that's what i was that's why i stopped you at, at when you said symbol mm. that's really interesting andrew because this idea of sharing a story with someone and the yeah. shared story being this sort of the symbolic adherent to the relationship and i think what often happens with people who are in relationships for long periods of time is that the relationship begins to lose its erotic vitality when there's no longer a shared story that that conjoins a unified identity between the two people, mm -hmm. right? So when you start to, to lose the plot together, when you're no longer sharing of a, a story that vectors you in a, in a, in a single shoulder to shoulder direction, yeah. um, I think that that is a kind of a loss of, I think the symbolic glue that binds people into erotic relation to one another so i i think you're i think you're yeah. i think you're well, I, I can see important. it going both ways because when intimacy deepens in a sense then again it becomes sort of post-narrative but mm -hmm. maybe maybe the symbol is is the symbolism is is, is still active it's just more transparent or, or, or more... sometimes because the, the story has to change right this the, the narrative as it were has to self-transcend i think in order for the relationship to continue to self-transcend yeah. but sometimes at certain junctures when faced with the necessity of self-transcendence a narrative can simply fail rather than to die and regrow yeah right and sure. so it's like an important either or i think that has to happen in some in some sense mm -hmm. i'm not sure that that's necessary but it's just anyway yeah no no I, I think that's i mean well you you know chris maybe you've seen it andrew i've been sort of pursuing this narrative post-narrative thing and really trying to think about it because yeah. i i, I want to know without infinite regress or homuncular explanation where our capacity to move to move out of a narrative comes from um, um and we're back to the emergence right there's there's something because of course it's it's almost a trope in in couples therapy that the couple has got entrapped in a narrative that is preventing the relationship mm -hmm. it's preventing both of them and the relationship from growing or or transforming as it needs to because of yeah. developmental change within or contextual change because without. you have a concretized notion of the other person I'm like this and you're like this yeah yeah so we're, you, you, we're you, stuck in this sort of yeah um, you get stuck mm -hmm. in a narrative right and you and, can't remodel it yeah and family dynamics are famous for narratives where people have their assigned roles and then once that's all locked in then the family can't heal it can't progress yeah. and so it I'm becomes really, like a false memory like a yes, pathologos yes. Pierre Grimes calls that the pathologos the false memory that implants itself as a consequence of, of an idolized narrative yeah and I say Ooh, idolized that, and, yeah that's great Pierre, yeah. Pierre Grimes calls it a pathologos uh, yeah yeah the belief of the 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 belief that that concretizes such that it becomes false for its for its for its implacability and, and also because it's in the past or it's an image or it's a yeah you know, I, I, I'm supposed to talk with him uh, soon because we share of course uh, a deep interest in sort of because he's deeply, deeply influenced by Neoplatonism, uh, profoundly so. Um, yeah, the, the pathologos. Yeah, that 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 the, the narrative that becomes uh, like a hardened idol. All right, uh, yeah. to use some of our metaphors. So I'm interested. I'm I'm interested in what brings in the liquidity. What is the non-narrative? And I I think I think Dialogos has an important thing to say about that. What is it that allows us, other than the narrative, to realize we are trapped in a narrative? Because as you said, Chris, the narrative has to keep evolving, all right, or if it's going to actually function. 
and and that really intrigues me. I, the reason I'm saying that, Andrew, is I'm trying to I'm trying to make us place yeah. in the conversation yeah. for what you said, the non-narrative. We well, have to break the pattern. You have to break. There's something right, that has, but what? But what is some negative that does that? Of Hegelian negativity or something, but there has to be a, <laughs> a, a you know a negative. There has to be something that breaks the pattern somehow. But you know, it can't what, be what just because people will stay. It can't just be. Right? It's, pain, it's yeah. not a simplistic sort of Piagetian thing. Because people will stay in these painful narratives for decades. It's not yeah. just that things are going bad. There's some. It's not enough, right? And I'm sorry, I don't mean to get so frightened, but there's something else. There's a positive drive other yeah. than narrative, because the pain is often insufficient. There's something else, and it, it strikes me that it's it, that we're getting to get to the core of the eros. Because it's something mm. that takes the lack. There's something yeah. lacking in this narrative and drives me beyond it in a positive yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, in a positive way. Because yeah. you just it's it's unbearable at a certain point. But, 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 but then and then you you kind of break through it and, and uh, but it also I guess you could change in it in a more subtle way. But, but I think it's I think just it's be so you just you're walking in one direction, you decide to go the other direction at one. Yeah. Just very very. Mm -hmm. there, there's something about again like like. The, about the the hunger gets transmuted into a receptivity that affords the emanation of that which is beyond the scope of the narrative, mm -hmm, right? right? That you 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 basically right you you convert the hole that is your hunger into an aperture through which another world can shine. Something mm -hmm. like that has to happen. That's that's really good, and that is a fundamental. It's really well put, John. That that's a that's a fundamentally existential move. Yes. Yes. fundamentally existential move right and that's where that whole line of thinking that whole side of philosophy i think can inject itself also yes yes its utility injects into this conversation right there at that juncture right because the disposing of oneself in order to be known is precisely the existential decision yeah. Yeah. that lays one open to the power of being and the power of revival right i think of that almost mm. in a nietzschean way mm. yeah that's right that's right I, 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 so like Camus, who says like you, you have a choice between ha you know committing suicide or having a cup of coffee in the morning, you know. Um, <laughs> it's like. Um, but but would, there was but there's also Camus when he says, and, and I've quoted this before. You know, I want to learn how to be a saint without God. That's the, that's the entire problem I'm up against. Like, where is that impulse coming from? Is what I keep coming back to again and again and again. Well, that's God, an erotic no? impulse. I mean, it's a sort of. You would think that it would have to come from something beyond Camus. Um, it, it does, but that's exactly the point. And, and uh, what is it? Is it Tartu? What, what's the name of the character? Tartu? He, the character in, in the plague, he, he's basically, he, yeah, he, the problem he's facing is he needs, he needs that which is outside that can, as Chris says, know him. But God, God isn't a possibility for him, but he still nevertheless wants to be called the way the saint is called. He wants to be called beyond himself, um, and and so, but I want to know, like, well, I mean, I, I, I've tried answering it myself, but as you can see, maybe this is erotically charged. I find the answers I've given, while perhaps helpful to myself and others, I find them inadequate. I keep coming back to, and, and this is a, like this. Is what about enjoyment? I was thinking about the cup of coffee. Is that not enough? Is that not like something, or at least, no, no, it's 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 too small. I, I, there's something. If, because there's kind of a problem with enjoyment with the, the existentialists. They don't believe in it or something. They, they're, they're, well, no, it's, they're kind it's of afraid to be happy or they're kind of angry about existence. Or I, I always get the sense like. 
Anyway, m maybe I'm making a caricature here. No, no, but but the problem is the word enjoyment is equivocal between pleasure and joy, where uh -huh. joy is precisely the thing that we're seeking. We're seeking joy means to be in contact with something that is profoundly good, profoundly real. Like what I was thinking about is you know you know, Proust and his like you know his little Madeleine. Yeah, his Madeleine, yeah. or, or or I guess Camus and his coffee, or or just sort of this kind of uh, you know a glimpse of eternity in the simple things, or ah, oh, uh -huh. that's a possibility. I hadn't thought about it that way. But again, so okay, then I mean is, in actual things, not just in in spiritual yeah, no, 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 no. Totally or something like that, you know. <laughs> but but uh, then again, this is Spinoza's question, perhaps, or at least I I, I hear Spinoza saying it. You're saying we have a hunger for eternity. And this is the platonic question. You see it all. That's why we come up with the theory of recollection and all these implausible accounts. Like, I'm really interested in where does that come from and how do we recognize it well? I'm trying to get, I'm trying to, because if we answer those questions, we can discern the hunger for eternity and perhaps better transmute it into the receptivity for eternity. That's, that's, what it, that's what's driving me right now. It's it's kind of almost like a koan, isn't it? It's not something like yeah. you want to give a trite answer to when, <laughs> when you ask that question. <laughs> yeah. no, no, the value of the question lies in the in its being a question. Uh -huh. Yeah, uh, thank you for guys for indulging me and letting me voice that, because voicing that that was important for me. Thank you. Hmm. Because we have at our disposal, even in this conversation, we have metaphysics that account for that question, John. But I think perhaps if I can understand the real valence of your question, it's that those, I mean, I think of the Neoplatonic metaphysics, right? The procession, yeah. we, it has an answer for that question, right? It's the, yeah. the, the, the procession from the one is precisely the answer to that question. And all of the Christian permutations of Neoplatonism, of yeah. course, seize that and pick it up and carry it forward. But I think implicit to your question is the secondary question. This does not, this does, this does not function for me now. Yes. What? That's how right. now? Oh, how right. now? How now yes. must we think yes. of this perspective? Yes. How now must we think of the source of the want for eternity, if yeah. not from the procession from the Godhead? That's yeah. amazing, yeah. God. Because yeah. because exactly. we could get caught caught in some sort of um, again. It's like what we're talking about with with having a story, having a narrative, and, and all that, and and it's sort of a bit like that. It's like because everything is a process, right? Even you know, Buddha is not some final thing. It's a process, or or. Or whatever is a process, so 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 we yeah, have to, we have really to, we have to situate ourselves in the process, rather rather than in, in in some sort of conclusion or some sort of, I guess, philosophical proposition. Um, I th I think that's right. I think what the process and the and the, the trans narrative, and yeah, the metaphysics, while beautiful and even um helpful intelligibly helpful or helpfully intelligible um yeah that it's the function question and that's maybe why i i cited that character um because i don't know how to do that right and yeah because i mean there's a degradation of the realization of the hunger for eternity into the narrative of immortality 
and and that's ancient. It goes back to Gilgamesh, right? The, the fundamental mistake yeah. of misunderstanding, and that's why of misunderstanding the hunger for eternity as the the quest for immortality. And that's why the Buddhist tradition in, on this point, I think, is much better than the Christian tradition, because the Buddhist the Buddhist tradition says, yes, I get it. You're horrified by your mortality, but look, immortality is also horrifying. It's really, really horrifying, right? And the idea is you're supposed to stereoscopically see between those two horrors so that you realize that what you're talking about, right, is this hunger for eternity, which is not the hunger for immortality, the escape from mortality. And that to me, yeah, that, that, like where do we have, where do we have the place where we can step away from all of that heritage, the, the heritage of immortality, and recover the discernment, the proper appropriate discernment of the hunger for eternity that can be transmuted into a reception of the divine. Yes. Yeah, that, that shakes me up, your, your question. It's, I, can, I, can, I can feel myself trembling on the inside. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's the same question, I think, fundamentally. The identity of that question shares identity with the question of where oh where in the world is the locus, the true locus of Eros. Yeah. Because yeah. in order for Eros, uh, this is a point that um, I think Lewis makes this point actually very well, that one of the things one, one of the things that distinguishes Eros, separates it categorically from mere sexuality, is that it's its source and locus is not within the individual. Yeah. The individual participates in it, but it's not located in the individual, just like the the appetite for eternity, the longing for eternity cannot be, cannot or cannot originate in the decision of the individual. The decision of the individual has to encounter and interact with yeah. that fundamental drive, but the, the drive does not, does it's not It's almost like you didn't ask to be born or something individual. like. That's right. Like that's right. We didn't ask to be here and, and confronting all this and. It was, it was not a something we asked for, but yeah, it's you're right. I hear I hear Kierkegaard in your voice, Chris. It's like yeah. you have to be called because anything other than a call is not what we're talking about, right? Mm, right. And I think actually, I think one of the neo—I don't know if it was Iamblichus or who who it was—but I think it, they described it in exactly those terms. It is a it is a. Oh, they call they describe it as a call. Some so I, I don't know if it's Porphyry or Iamblichus, but one of them describes Eros specifically in those terms. Specifically yeah. in those terms. And that's the distinction also between theurgia and sorcery. Sor sorcery is the pejorative term because sorcery is right. all, like to make the gods do things, where theurgia is the work of the gods. It's right in the it's right in the it's right in the term. You're supposed to the most you can do is cultivate the appropriate receptivity so that right and and and, and that means like comprehensively through your entire being so that a space is afforded uh for in which the gods can act yeah yeah i think or, that's or right to which you you can hear hear the call here 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 um, yeah yeah that, yeah to, to the call yeah. and that's why eckhart talks about like giving birth right mm -hmm. you can't give birth to the son of god what you can do is you can become receptive to that 
Um, but of course, that has its downsides too, because then that can become this self-negating kind of spirituality, where mm -hmm. the whole point of spirituality is to negate the self. Well, when um, you hear the call, you have to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not just listen to sit, passively listen to the call, and, and you know th that's part of it. You let it shake you up and stuff, but then, you know. Um, but, but I've been touched by people who I care about deeply, who have been, I think, in a complete existential authenticity, and I think this is true of me to some degree too, have been waiting or awaiting the call. Um, and, you know, and, and, and they, uh, they suffer. Uh, so, I mean, there's a price to be paid for the fact that there's a mystery to this, which is some people, you know, wait for a very long time. I imagine I don't know this and I don't want to make any pronouncements on it, but maybe there are people that wait their whole lives. Um, and what does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, we have to, we have to get a spirituality that can encompass that possibility rather than what Christianity seemed to promise, which was everybody is going to be redeemed if they wish to be. Um, anyways, I, 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 I'm just thinking about the fact that there's a possibility I'm not saying an inevitability or probability, but there's a possibility that our love for eternity might be unrequited um, in some fashion. Um, and we need to perhaps also educate ourselves to have an appropriate compassion for people who are suffering that to whatever degree of, uh, of temporal duration that it has. They need, they need, they need, they need a kind of care that's analogous to you can only properly share someone's grief if you've also lost in a way that's irretrievable to you, right? And we need to, we need to be like, you can't really share someone's grief unless you have lost and you can't, and you irretrievably, you need, we need to have that kind of care for people. And I'm not excluding myself. I'm not putting myself. And we on don't this. lose that grief either. Uh, that's we, the, no, we don't. And the grief, I mean, the grief I, kind of remains and remains, and 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 sort of. So it's it's uh, yeah. It 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 becomes a ten, a, a, the tenor of your life in mm. certain ways. But but what I'm saying, I, mean, I don't think. And one thing we should talk about, we maybe want to do it trilogus about. I said we, our culture is not properly grieved the death of God. That's mm. part of what's going on right now. We have not properly properly responsively and thoroughly grieved the death of god wow. so putting but i'm using that also as an analogy for people who want to be called by god but have not heard his or her voice and how like we need we need to care about that and we need to care for people who are undergoing that with the same kind of love that we can express when we're when we express shared grief the capacity to have experienced grief because i think we all have at least to varying degrees we all fall short of the glory of god right so geez john it's um it's by analogy it's like the grief that you're talking about is is just on a different scale just to bring us back to well, I was beginning. thinking of calling it's, it aspirational it's grief. It's the grief of the it's the grief of the lost love. True, it's the grief yeah. grief of the lost love. Grief of the it's lost the love. Same. It's it's um, it's the it's the it's it's the grief for the possibility. Yeah, that's what that I meant was, when I was trying to suggest aspirational. Yeah, love. yeah, yeah. Aspirational that's right. Grief. Aspirational yeah. grief, grief for the possibility. Yeah. 
that was provided by the requited comp- by the requited comprehension of the knowing lover. Yeah. And that same a, a, a version of a fundamentally a, a fundamental version of that grief, I think, is what you're talking about, John. Yes, there is. There's a grief for the future self in relation to the depths of reality that never was fully birthed, right? Yeah. And not because of vice um, or not because of neglect. Um, those are different things and we, we uh, and they, they need to be addressed. I'm not denying them, but I think, you know, <laughs> I think reality, there, I mean, this was in existentialism. There's an aspect of reality that is deeply indifferent to human concerns, or it wouldn't be reality. And that can impact on people who are waiting to be called by the sacred. And in a way that can be very, very harsh to them. That's, that's an incredible, that gives me an incredible insight into your entire mission, John, in a sense, or, or, or <laughs> what, what, I, what I would like my mission to be, but, 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 but fall short of that, <laughs> in a sense. I, I, I don't know how to say that, but. I, I think that's right, Andrew. It's and, extremely and, touching. But... Well, thank you. But I, I mean, it's because of this dialogos that I was able to articulate it. I hadn't, I hadn't quite seen it that way before. I think you're right. I think now retrospectively, that is a good way to characterize my project. Um, uh, but yeah. I mean, the compassion of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Drive yeah. and compassion of it. Yeah, very sense. much, very much. Mm. I, I should go soon, guys. I have to uh, meet with my sons. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm kind of reticent to say anything more right now, too. Um, I just want to sort of stay in this space a bit. Um, so I want to thank you guys for this. And I, I'm always happy. And, and I look forward to being able to do this again. Me too. Thanks so much, guys. Likewise. Take care, my friends. Take good care. Take care. Thanks, guys. Indeed.